0: Cast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Claudia Monticelli. And today I have uh, a unique guest. I think I could call him a unique guest, Jeremy Sherman. Now, he would call himself a normal, for informal guy with a very colorful vocabulary. And I I believe that, and I can attest to that. Um, he's very funny, he's humorous, and has um He is a scientist. uh, Is that's in his DNA? Um, And one of the things that I love about him, just love, is this playful manner that he uses uh, words and expressions to say anything that it it seems funny, but it's so serious, but humorous at the same time. Now, and of course, you know, gives me pleasure, and this is why I was hoping that he would accept my invitation, and he has. Now, who is Jeremy Sherman? He has a master in public policy from the University of uh, Berkeley and a PhD in how organi- organisms shop among interpretations. Now, that doesn't mean anything to me because my interpretations are quite different. That's the first question I'm going to ask him when he comes in. So he has been a leading researcher in um, on one of today's most prominent and promising explanations for how mattering emerged from matter. Again, it gets a little hazy for me scientifically, and I'm a scientist as well. Now, uh, he's he calls himself a pioneer Third, 25 years working to explain total jerks and how to stop them from, how to stop them without becoming one himself. So, you know, anyone who has studied someone who is a jerk is, is unique for me. And it begs the question, well, what brought you to do that? Why would you do that? Um, now, he has uh, a lot of, uh, in, apart from the know-how, he, he rubs shoulders with a certain amount of interesting people, people that we know. Um, and has published extensively. Now, I'm going to invite him in. Come on in, Jeremy, let's give him a round of applause. Welcome, Jeremy.
1: It's nice to be here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't pay him to say that. (laughs) He's just being kind. (laughs) All right. Now, before we start talking I, I would in some way i know with you it's difficult because we could get off on tangents but i would like to talk a little bit about um the biological origins of success at the origins of life, because life because to me success would spell in some people an amount of pleasure
1: i think but i'm ah. not sure i'm not sure no 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 That's- yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure.
0: Okay, and then, then, um, then we'll take it from there. Okay, okay. you have the floor.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, so, what we mean by success is what we call normativity in philosophy. It's better, worse, good, bad, um, and what you'll notice about that term is it's always with respect or for. An individual, an organism, or a, 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 some someone who's trying to achieve something, um, and the someone could be a human. Uh, in a lot of theology, it's a god or a higher power, um, which is somehow managed to uh, man, uh, imagined as a supernatural. Often, um, but it, we also would talk about good or bad for a dog. Um, uh, that is, it could getting hit by a car would be bad for it. It would would not be called, it's more failure than success at something. True. And if you go back even further, you can find organisms that don't have um, nervous systems. That is, they don't have pleasure and pain as as basically proxies for good and bad, um, but they do nonetheless try. So you could say that success at failure is always with respect to trying. So even if you take the supernatural approach, which is to say, wait, I can't hear you. Hold on. Um, Hold on.
0: This, this um, success or failure in relation to trying. So there's intention there. Is that?
1: That's right. That's right. Intention. um, The the Greek term for it is telos, uh, that that for which something occurs. It's also called final cause. That is, uh, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's got some future payoff or cost is what we assume. So in our research, and there's lots of different approaches to this, so uh, you know, I've had long theological conversations with Houston Smith, who was the is a big name in, in comparative religious studies about Look, whether...
0: ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to warn you, he's a name dropper. That's his nature. Oh, and okay. no, that's right. And
1: <laughs> not ahead. only that, I have a very intimate uh, personal relations with this fellow Jeremy Sherman. Um, <laughs> I, I talked to him Incessantly, and and often he won't shut up. So, if I wanted to name drop, but I don't, but I don't, don't name drop uh, supernatural uh, people. I have no dealings with God. But anyway, but <laughs> he, he's not, he, we're not on speaking terms these days. But anyway, what I want to say to, to simplify it down. Yes, if we if you assume that if success or failure, good or bad, are always relative to someone or something trying to achieve something. So that's our assumption going into this work. And so we don't start at the level of human consciousness, don't start at the level of emotions, we start at the level of the first trying. And Darwin makes very clear in his work that the struggle for existence is not something he's trying to explain. He assumes it and says that if you have a struggle for existence, then that is if you have organisms that are struggling for their own existence trying to stay alive only then can i offer you an explanation for how that trying becomes uh increasingly adapted to circumstances through this trial and error process but he's basically saying the trial part of it the trying part of it is something he won't he hasn't explained and most scientists act as though He explained it, as if Darwinian natural selection Uh explains trying. So my assumption is that the universe is for... This is just based on the science we've got. The universe is about 14 billion years old. In this neck of the woods, there's only been life for about 4 billion years. That's about the last third of it. So from our perspective, there's no good or bad in the universe prior to life. And that good or bad starts with the first trying. And no, it doesn't start with pleasure or pain. They're not what we call yuck and yum, in uh, in this work. I mean, that's actually the technical term for it these You're days.
0: You're joking? <laughs> oh, no, these I, days, I, of course. <laughs> no, no,
1: these days. No, uh, Stuart Kaufman came up with it, um, and there uh, he goes again. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't. I, I didn't say that I knew him, though I do. We're old buds. But but the point is, but but no, I didn't. I I, I honestly, I deny that we're friends. I have never met the fellow. I only revere him from a distance anyway the point the 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 short answer i'm gonna try again is that pleasure and pain success and failure starts when you've got the first trying and the first trying from our perspective starts at the origins of life so a lot of my work has been on explaining um, as explaining how from simple chemistry with no smoke and mirrors nothing added in how it would ever become trying because chemicals aren't trying to do anything dna isn't trying to do anything if you put it on A table, if you lay it on a table, looks like snot, it's just not, it's not trying to do anything by itself, it's a chemical. Chemicals don't try, organisms do, so apparent, and nothing we do defies the laws of physics and uh, chemistry. I don't think of trying as something added to chemistry, it's something different from nothing but chemistry. And that's where uh, I've been working with a Berkeley biologist for the last 25 years. And we have a hunch about how it starts, but the main, how how trying starts. But the main point for here is that it's interesting to look at success and failure from its origins, because that way you actually end up getting a better sense of what's going on when we humans in our everyday life are trying to succeed. So let's
0: say that if you don't try, you cannot fail from what you're saying
1: uh uh well they're... if you don't try you oh cannot... oh he's speechless i must have got it <laughs> no actually this is this is a good sign i um i'm actually thinking about if you don't try you cannot fail um yeah yeah i get your point thank you it took me a second 10,
0: ten points for me <laughs> it's 8 30 in the morning out here I'm not. <laughs> give me a break i've only had good. one cup of coffee <laughs> That. so here we are we should just all lay back I can't miss I mean, it would be all right now let's go back well, to no, the there, idea.
1: there are people who talk like that I, I, mean, I think that's one of the dreams in <laughs> uh to become a disembodied person yes. who has all the answers yes. um and can can do no wrong because they're disembodied that's actually um a dream in a lot of uh uh, 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 uh what, it's not soteriology uh, it's it, uh, in a lot of the, the talk about what it means to reach salvation you become disembodied you're not at risk of failing um because right. you're not trying to do anything you've got right. all the answers all that yeah
0: right okay so these are highly evolved spirits these are highly evolved soul, souls. so i think they, it's
1: they i are- <laughs> I think it's a figment of ultimate satisfaction. What? I don't yes. think it's but but that's ultimate. what I think it is. But I not but I don't I I don't subscribe to it. I assume that I am going to be trying as hard as I'm going to be trying lifelong. And I'll be failing some um that that comes with the territory. Um so and then Yeah. Okay. But but, now let's, let's dumb
0: it down a little bit. Okay. I'm going to dumb it down.
1: Am I not dumb enough?
0: (laughs) I'm trying. All right. So, so, uh, you're, I'm going to ask you, Jeremy, you just said, I'll be trying all my life. Why? Trying to do what?
1: I produced yesterday was a slouchy day for me. I didn't get much (laughs) done, but I did produce (laughs) 250 billion new cells. I didn't do, I I wasn't thinking about it, but I was hustling all day. Here's why I'm trying all life long. The one most universal thing we find in our universe is uh, the second law of thermodynamics. Things fall apart. Um, And so I am in the process of decaying all the time, not because because I don't use the right aging formulas, it's because I'm in... A universe where there are more disordered states than ordered states. So that means I have to hustle all the time at three levels um, to take in the energy, channel that energy into work to regenerate myself. All right. What are those? That trying is most fundamental.
0: What are those levels?
1: Well, uh, there's a lot to them, but I would say that the three levels are uh, somatic but i called it there's an article in in the psychology today magazine this week um this month that i wrote on the silent self that's the part that's hustling all the Ooh, time i regenerate. like that i like that so the that. silent self we we mostly associate ourselves with our emotions and our thoughts i got this whole other hustle going on the same as a tree does same as a bacterium does i have to outpace degeneration with my processes of regeneration okay. so that's going on all, full time 24/7 Okay.
0: So p- from so that's what you're that, saying, that's one uh,
1: level. We call that also vegetative sentience. That's what it's oh, called.
0: Oh. Okay. Now I got fancy it. fancy name for the clear. silent self. But that's very clear. That's very. I want that yeah. article if you don't mind. Uh, I want it. Okay.
1: Call All right. Easily done. <laughs> um, the, it, the second is um is hedonic tone, which is pleasure and pain. Um, feels good. It feels bad. Do it. Do more of it. Do do less, do of, less it, of it. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then the third isn't actually biological it's conceptual and from from our perspective it arises with language so it's my it's the whole worldview i get from having words that are networked to each other such that i can basically um close my eyes and imagine anything and um that's really interesting to me now at all of these levels i've got to be doing a kind of a selective interaction where so for example i have to take in energy in order to regenerate myself that's at the somatic level that the basic body that's not the felt body it's mm-hmm. just a body that's busy regenerating itself, like a plant does right okay i have to take in the energy that i can use to regenerate me but i can't take in the energy that will degenerate me and one of the things that, that one of the paradoxes of life is that energy it, we depend upon it but it also is degenerative that's why insulation is made as uh to be durable that is when you're running energy through something it tends to wear it out so one of the interesting things we got to do is we have to take in water but not bleach you know got so we're doing that at the <laughs> somatic level yep. emotionally we're trying to do that where we take in stuff that's yum and not yuck uh-huh. and then at the cognitive level this plays out as confirmation bias that is i'll take in the ideas that will regenerate my mojo and i'll keep out the ideas that will degenerate my mojo so and these and these are all dancing with each other these three realms are all interacting with each other none of them dominates they each take turns it's you know it's what they call in this technical work strange loops it's ambiguous what's dominating what sometimes my feelings override my body like if i go for heroin and i end up destroying my body sometimes my thoughts override and sometimes the feelings override all that sort of stuff
0: all right now let me, you know, uh, take it anywhere of. you want. I'm, I'm going to, I'm am going to take it. I towards. Will the, follow you. <laughs> pleasure. I'm going to do it to the pleasure. pleasure right, so, yes. So, good pleasure. Know, wait, 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 wait. Um, now you also mentioned choosing your own definition of success. And I cannot understand how you're going to link it to what you just said or philosoph. I mean, is, are you going to
1: no. philosophize about it? No, or... no, no. So, uh, so uh, okay. the, the, the trick in my work is I never get to just bootstrap and defend some assumption I make. I actually am trying to work from origins all the way up. So when I think about any question, I'm thinking about it as if I've got to I've got to maintain this concept. Of, I'm I'm working from a worldview where I've got an explanation for success and failure at the origins of life and how it changes throughout. Uh, um, throughout this evolution. So for example, we're the only organisms that are really fluent in language and it radically changes how we interact with the world. Now, so success and failure starts with individuals. That is, it starts, if I think about success for the first organism, it was not collective success, it was not group success, it was not something like that. Um, And that continues through the emotional realm with distortions. That is, you can do lots of things that feel pleasurable and are actually bad for you in the long run. But And there is obviously in nature a whole lot of cooperation. It's not all competition. uh, It's cooperation, but and I won't go into it today, but a big part of our work is on how corrupt cooperation starts. We can see wait, why it's.
0: Wait, wait! You can't just throw it out
1: there and not. Oh, what? No, how, co- how corrupt? I'm. Come on, you have how, to. How, men- how cooperation starts?
0: Yes, I. I mean, I need a little bit more in order to, to piece together some of the the links here. Okay, so here. all
1: right. So, so, so the the a lot of the research on on cooperation talks about its adaptive advantages basically united we stand divided we fall that kind of stuff but that's not the 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 more challenging question around cooperation is how it starts because it is organisms are loath to surrender or compromise their autonomy and in general natural selection that whole degenerative process i'm talking about will tend to make things simpler so the interesting story here is um the interesting question is, how does it start such that it could potentially become advantageous? And our answer is very, it it, it touches on my definition of love and addiction. Uh, both terms, to me, point to the same process, though with very different connotations based on different predictions. If you think of love, if, a, go ahead. I need
0: an example.
1: I will give you an example right now. Oh,
0: oh, oh, oh he said Yes.
1: <laughs> of course I did okay um you need vitamin C or you'll get scurvy okay so you get you 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 get it from fruit you get it from uh, uh, vitamins all that the funny thing is that mammals across the board with the exception of us and guinea pigs primates and guinea pigs they make their own vitamin C you don't have to give a cat lemon juice um, but you do with us what's that about 35 million years ago, We end up in trees and suddenly we have two ways to get vitamin C. I've got the the vitamin C from the fruit and I've got the vitamin C that I could generate myself. So we call that redundancy. And when you got redundancy, when you got two ways to do something, you could lose one and you'll be fine. So um, that's that's what we call relaxed selection. And then what happens as a result, what happened as a result with us, we can still identify the DNA that is part of is the final precursor to the production of 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 vitamin c but in us it became junk dna now try this out here's another example so what i'm saying is I'm that the way I, I am now addicted to or in love with fruit and i would define it very very specifically i do dedicated work to maintain access to external vitamin c because i depend upon it so it's the dedication and dependency. And actually, so we call this falling up. That is, I lost capabilities, and as a result, I am dependent on external sources. No, external sources became available, I lost the ability to do it for myself, and now I'm dependent on those external sources. I can apply this to romantic love relationships, the ways in which you, you stop doing certain things for yourself because your partner does them, and then if you break up, suddenly i'm not half the man i used to be that kind of thing yeah, the, the dynamics can be yeah that's a, that's a dynamic but, but the interesting part for me this is a sidebar and we promised we weren't going to do sidebars but uh, but the point is <laughs>
0: and we were we have a theory about, about sex so that's out of that's off the table so
1: so the point was back back a ways ago was um uh you were asking about how you I- identify your own definition of success how would how do, would that even work and I'm saying we're torn these days. My dad was a philanthropist, and I can name drop him because he was my dad. And one of the things he said is, we philanthropists have, um, have it hard for having decided to love humankind, we're forever burdened by the question, how much? So how much do I want to give? I mean, I, I want to give, and this would be even true in a love romantic relationship. It, 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 the challenge for me in a love relationship is that it's actually six relationships. I love you. You love me. I love me. You love you. I love us. You love us. So that's a whole lot to juggle. Sure, especially for a philanthropist. <laughs> right, having decided <laughs> how, how much. so yeah, how much. So, right. So I'm a romantic cynic that, or a romantic skeptic. That is, I'm deeply romantic, am deeply skeptical. I'm trying to keep. I'm trying to keep an open mind, but I don't want my brains to spill out. That kind of thing.
0: Life is tough. I said It I, is. I get
1: it. It's, it's a it's a slap. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but now, but you know no. the Jewish Go joke on.
1: about this. No. There's, sorry, there's two and they're very short. One is life is life is difficult and some and his friend says compared to what, uh, and the other one is, Mo, Moshe says to Louis, "Oh, Louis, life is so hard. Sometimes I think it'd be better to not have been born at all." And Louis says, yes, Moshe, but tell me, how many among us can count ourselves so lucky? Maybe one in (laughs) 10,000 are lucky enough to not be born at all. Sorry. I have had my coffee. I can tell. (laughs) Okay. Where were we?
0: We were in the I love you, you love me, you love you, so so, six
1: forms. That's right. How much? The point (laughs) about it is... um, we are we're in a strange era most of us feel more autonomous than we ever than people have ever felt that we get to choose our own path but at the same time i'm arguing i would say that this is because what we're addicted to or dependent upon in society has become so reliable that we take it for granted um and yet at the same time we have got all of these commitments to it um uh, that make it so wait Go when ahead. you say we have all these commitments to we it we do dedicated well, work to maintain access to okay. the things that we depend okay. upon okay and um and it's so it's interesting to see how this plays out now how it played out in my life is totally weird and i'm kind of an experiment because i inherited money at 16 and had enormous guilt about it joined the world's largest hippie commune. guilt guilt did guilt. you say guilt. guilt total guilt yeah no, because I mean, I looked around the world, and the inequality was—I uh, mean, the suffering—and why me? And this, you know. right, right. So I ended up joining a, uh, the largest hippie commune, giving away all my money that I had at the time. I was an elected elder of this commune by uh, by 24, um, <laughs> and then I—and no, it was true, <laughs> but 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 the point was that was me throwing all into a communitarian approach, yeah, um, and and surrendering. For me, success was peace of mind, freedom from doubt, freedom from self-doubt, and I got that there for a while. Okay. Um, I left it, and now I have to. And and I left it after about six and a half, seven years. I left it with a wife and child. Um, I left it with a commitment. So I had all sorts of commitments along the way. Um, a couple of midlife crises later, I find myself, uh, and I'm done with them now because I just turned 65. <laughs> I can no longer have a midlife crisis. I had two juicy ones and some little satellite ones. They call but them differently I, now. <laughs> yeah, none of that's about, now I have to, they, 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 they'll call it senility. At 65, I did. Anyway. Um, no, I ended up rounding down to extraordinary freedom to design a life where success is um, measured by my own best standards.
0: Wait a minute. No, uh,
1: wait a minute. Yeah, no. go ahead.
0: Uh, somewhere along the line, there you started uh, with research. You started, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at, you know, big time. It, it was the really... midlife
1: crisis got me going oh, on that.
0: Oh, uh, so it was late. Later, you. Oh, didn't... totally.
1: No, this is a second career for me. That's oh, why ah, I'm not a tenured professor someplace. Ah, That's get one it. reason. I get oh, I'm a it. gen scholar. And, oh, well, and I... no, this
0: is much better. Oh, no, believe it. Take it from me. I am a tenured professor and I cannot wait to leave. I'm leaving.
1: No, I totally get that. For the <laughs> no, longest no, time I, I've, I felt it. punked because I was hanging out with these uh, these tenured scholars. They don't get to, they don't get to, they have all these administrative duties. No, we don't have freedom. oh no, being a Gen Scholar is nice work if you can get it. Uh, it's really hard to come by. One way to do it is to limbo your way through life. That is if your expenses are not high. Yeah. I know some people who manage to do it that way. Um, but anyway, well, it's the
0: quality of your work as well. You know, you have to have a head on your shoulders to be able to to you know, uh, work in that work consistently uh, doing research. I mean, research is is an independent job, like you said, autonomous, but working with other people is where it's at, working in research groups at least for me. I no, I it, yes
1: yeah, I get that. So I, I, what happened is I fell in with a great research group that um, uh, led by this guy, Terence Deacon, who's a, uh, who's a, he was a Harvard neuroscientist when I met him. Um, he, he was willing to get on my independent PhD committee. Shortly after that, he moved out of Harvard um, and uh, came to teach at Berkeley. He's a biological anthropologist neuroscientist, but he got really interested. He had written a big book on the the origins and, and effects of having language called the symbolic species and then he wrote then when I met him he was just taking up this question uh, of what is trying and how did it start and so we've been jamming on that for 25 years uh, He's uh, he's way more encyclopedic than I am but somehow he's uh, at Harvard, they called him a saint and a genius because he. Was, uh, the saint business was just that he would talk to anyone. He never pulls rank on me. We've been jamming for 25 years. It's great. If, if I weren't doing this interview this morning, we'd be taking a dog log, dog walk and working on more parts of the series. So I've lucked out because that's not how it normally goes. Um, and it's, I got this other friend. This is my last name drop of the, of the. I mean, you, I, if you that's pay me okay. more, I'll name drop some more. It's okay. <laughs> but I got a buddy because I live in Berkeley. Dan Ellsberg. He's the guy who, who wrote, he founded the field of behavioral economics and then he went on and wrote the Pentagon papers and all that sort of stuff. So we get together for dinner. The guy's 90 years old now and he's still, he's still a puppy. He's incredible. But one of the things he says to me, he said it often is that from all of his life's work, his main takeaway is that people can be as stupid as they need to be to keep their jobs. Yes. I agree. Right. So, so what agree. we're talking about I cultivating agree. your own definition of success. Yes. Yes. it means strip. It means to the extent you can minimizing the stigmas and obligations, the you could say superfluous or even superstitious obligations. There's we cannot, it takes work to fulfill any standard, and if you have standards in your in your game that are actually not yielding you anything, then it's great if you can begin to shed them. And that's difficult to do. Uh, also, because you'd never know for sure, you know, maybe it's not paying off to be in a marriage right now, but it could pay off in a few months. You never can tell. So how you shed obligations that are beginning to feel like this has no bearing on where I want to grow. This isn't what I want to do with myself. Yeah. This life is short. I'm, uh, uh, I, I, I want to prioritize. So all it is is a is a coaxing in that direction to remember that obligations will tend to accumulate and many of them unconsciously and every once in a while you have to go and look for the zombies in there the zombies yep. that are actually not doing it the, the, the living the the living dead obligations you have if you're going to shed them it's a gamble maybe you'll miss them but maybe everything's
0: they'll... a gamble really everything's
1: a, a gamble. gamble that's the thing about trying Yes. It's a, it's been a gamble yes. from
0: the beginning. It's from the beginning, I know. Mm-mm-mm. That's
1: yes, anyway.
0: <laughs> but all right, now, now, uh, go ahead. I'm I'm I don't know where to go. <laughs> because you also mention uh the difference between virtual success uh as a sometimes ah, yes. healthy, sometimes troubling Holy, yes. substitute for real success. I an optical illusion. Now, I Optimal uh, uh, optimal. Oh, okay. Optimal illusion. Kidding yeah. yourself where it helps, optimal. not where it helps. All right. Now I'm going to let you talk and I will stop you <laughs> every now and stop then. me so, anytime. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. You got it. You got okay. it. Okay.
1: <laughs> so uh, when you compare what you could worry about at night to what your dog could worry about at night, it's overwhelming the difference. And this is a, a function of language. With language, we are all trudging through a sandstorm. Of possibilities, all the possible threats, all the possible missed opportunities. It's quite an anxious thing to be a human being. Um, So, uh, my assumption is that it is totally unrealistic to assume that we could be realistic all the time. It's terrifying. We have to, escapism is inescapable for us, in part because language has two effects it makes us way more anxious we can imagine a whole lot more real and 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 fake but possibilities threats opportunities all that but also it gives us an easy way to escape or deny go ahead getting to optimal illusion but go ahead
0: yeah give me (laughs) give me an example i got i got the dog and oh you got the guy yeah yeah but but let's say uh, let's joe smith or john
1: smith and john uh, uh, jerry smith let's pick jerry Jerry
0: okay (laughs) jerry jerry smith yes poor jerry smith get let give me an example with jerry smith okay jerry uh, or if he did that
1: right so well so jerry smith is um is an anxious human being if things are not going very well for him every day he pledges that he's going to have new success but something in his nature makes it so it's he doesn't end up with success. So he has to keep on mustering Okay, let's give him hope. let's give him a job so, and and a role. No, we, we can, you can dress him up however you like. He's um he's okay. he's not successful one way okay. or another. Right. Okay, so what does he do? He becomes a legend in his own mind. That is rather than that rather than trying to have success, he just declares that he's got it. And he can do that with words. He can dress up a bunch of words so they basically encircle him with laurels. He feels like he's actually uh, a badass, even though he's not a badass in the real world. He's not actually successful in the real world. But he can do that. I'm
0: thinking, Jeremy, I mean, that's 90% of the people around. No, that's right. I mean,
1: that's... That's right. Here's another version of Jerry. Oh, (laughs) poor Jerry. Uh, 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 Jerry, that's right. So Jerry is not a success... But he knows he's not a success. So what he does at night is he watches movies um, in which he imagines that he's the hero who's doing all these wonderful things. And when he's done watching, and if you asked him during this movie, if, uh, I mean, you, you, you watch him, he's totally in it. He feels like the hero of this movie. Um, but if you asked him during the movie, if you tapped him on the shoulder and said, is this? are you really the hero of this movie? He'd say, no, I'm watching a movie. Be quiet. I'm watching a movie. So he knows that he is giving himself um, a mojo boost, basically a pit stop mojo boost. And when he turns off the TV, he gets back to reality. Jerry also loves heavy metal music. So he goes out to a heavy metal concert and there he's in cosplay and he plays the, the, the badass again and he's chanting along with the lyrics and he has, they don't know what the lyrics are saying. He's not thinking about the lyrics, he just fills him with a sense of success. And then he, at the end, he goes into the, the parking lot, he gets his keys, he goes home, and he remembers all the things he has to do in reality. That, to me, is optimal illusion. Now, I have been to a Donald Trump rally okay. in Tupelo, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Same thing as the heavy metal concert. No one's paying attention to the lyrics. It just sounds badass and makes them feel like they're better than everybody in the world. At the end of the, con- at the, end of the show, they get to their cars with the mission to go out and tell the world that the Trump rally truths are more real than reality. I consider that suboptimal. I consider it suboptimal no matter what anybody, whatever, it's not about the, the concept. There are no concepts. The concepts are at the point. The point is to go and stir yourself up with a bunch of mojo. It's a mojo pit stop. But the question is what you do after. And I'm saying right. the goal for me, optimal illusion, is to be able to take flights of fancy, but with a return ticket to reality secure in your heart pocket. That's what I, because I don't think we can be realists all the time. We have to be escapists, but safe escapism means that you have to remember that reality, as has always been the case with organisms, you adapt to reality or you die. So that's right. Yeah, that's true. That's
0: That's true. And so I I think you're doing quite well for yourself today, adapting (laughs) to this reality. I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) 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 <laughs> well let's see um let me take another look at because i have things here um, yeah that's fine all right also t-
1: make sure we're recording because i've heard stories
0: <laughs> yes we are. well i'll let you know after <laughs> okay, um right. now um. you know i i the emotional side to the things you're saying yes yes have not been touched on Have have not been touched on in the sense that I could say well emotions a, a human being is incarnated has a soul and they are here on this earth to be uh to to experience an emotional life all right that's why they're here or else they would be angels or devils or whatever we wanted to call them there wouldn't be humans they're w- in, with flesh and blood right yes they feel emotions unless they are drugged or somewhere uh, especially whatever. when they're drugged. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but with the success i mean because many people most of the people who go into the cycle of toward the optimal illusion and away from reality have difficulty in dealing with the reality of their emotions i'm trying to bring the emotional life into the 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 reality of yeah. a person you know and um and i i can't um and i'm not sure if that is the, the the breakdown for for poor jerry he's having trouble because he can't face the emotional side to his reality or or he just can't pay his bills you know i i
1: don't know oh um, no no it's it's it, it's hugely hedonic meaning it's hugely emotional okay that is I, I would say that i mean this is this is standard across psych literature these days mm-hmm. is that emotions are driving a whole lot more than uh thoughts are. Uh-huh. Um, Thoughts can control emotions some, but not nearly as much as we think. For example, if someone says, why would I be angry? They're operating on a false assumption from my perspective, which is that we are only angry over rational things. Mm -hmm. Emotions tend to come up first, and then we end up finding words for them. So I think a core present uh, uh, prayer that anybody would make is, God grant me one good reason for what Mm -hmm. I want to do. That would be a standard human appetite we would have, um and it's it's often a good emotions are often a good guide to what to do, but not always.
0: Well, let's say uh, we're talking about survival, right? We're getting in, in survival's in a, survival a piece of mode. it, but
1: one other thing is we're quite padded these days on survival. You can I know. you can get away with believing a whole lot of things that are not realistic and still survive because the infrastructure is so reliable. We've got.
0: But if I say I, a gut feeling, I have a gut feeling, that's part yeah. of my emotional system. And uh, and I know that something's wrong, and then I will, you know, choose that flight,
1: you know? Well, okay, and that, assume, that assumes what I call the almighty gut as if my gut knows um, what's true. I do I do know people who talk like that. I think of my my gut or my intuition as the entire package, everything, everything that evolved in me, everything I've learned, everything <laughs> yes. I've thought... That the whole package together, that, that bunch of strange loops where I've got my body that's regenerating itself, my emotions and my thoughts, and they're all interacting with each other in this complicated way. So that's my definition. But if you say my gut tells me something's amiss,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that will tend to drive us, and sometimes it drives us right, and sometimes it drives us wrong. Yeah. I think my gut is trying. I don't know that it's right all the time. hmm I mean, I would say that my priority definition of success um, is cultivating the best gut gut I can, which takes ideas and emotions and everything. Well, Uh, well, there
0: you go. So that's that's how I think about that. Cultivating our gut. too. Yeah, but
1: knowing that, so I'm I'm what we call a fallibilist. Technically, a a fallibilist is someone who says, no matter how confident I am in a bet, I remain still more confident that it is a bet.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So even when I feel gut certainty, I know that I'm still an organism in a trial and error process and that some of my best bets can turn out bad and some of my bad bets can turn out good. It's 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 a little chancy out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Well, I, I think... Um... <laughs> What what do I say now?
1: <laughs> I don't trust your guts.
0: <laughs> okay, so so let's say Jeremy, uh, we're off of the the science part of it, and now we're going to. Um, you want to, uh, in your mind, you want to start a venture. You want to start a, a project. You could call it a project, an, an investigation, uh, an adventure, something. Where you only want it to bring you a certain amount of pleasure. I don't want to talk about success, but certain yes. amount of pleasure. Amen. What would that type of project or venture, adventure, look to me? So you have to dumb it down for me. What would it look like?
1: You're talking about me personally, like what yes, it, what, you
0: personally, what, you personally, I, yeah. Oh well, so.
1: Actually, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take this historically, uh, autobiographically, okay. to okay. say, um, having inherited that money early on, I felt like I really was under a lot of pressure to, um, to make a difference in the world. That I, for example, I couldn't really rationalize the money to me to myself unless I turned out to be Martin Luther King. Okay, so mm-hmm. for a long time, I felt like, uh, and and that was really just about pleasure and pain. It was success in the service of pleasure and pain. That is, I felt like I needed status somehow. Um, and that's an interesting thing because at, at about 50, Why I realized- Why is that?
0: Why is that status oh, of, uh, give it, me a little it, more definition of your status. Sure, no, I
1: think mm-hmm. I, I came from, uh, my dad presented himself as high status. Mm-hmm. Um, there was thick competition between me and my three brothers. I know sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, for status within the home, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and, and I was an extremely anxious late bloomer. Uh, um, and, uh, and I mean, I have a recording of my dad referring to me as the runt of the family. And, and (laughs) so I was really striving, but the, and then you compound that with this being during the counterculture when equality and, and, uh, and fairness and justice and all that was on the rise, we thought. And, um, and I felt like doing my part. So for a long time, this was actually the, the core of my midlife crisis around 40, was um, recognizing that I'd spent my whole life doing what I felt obligated to do in order to establish status. Now that I'm perfectly sure I have none, I've decided, I mean, this is actually the thing you, you were talking about, about tenured professors, right. is that that's, it's, it's actually exhausting to have to maintain the status. So now I have the courage of my insignificance to actually follow my mind out to wherever I'm interested in going, um, but I do have projects. But for me, this was an interesting decoupling. I realized yeah, if you if you need to put food on the table, you need status. That okay. is, if you have status, you'll make more money per hour, which gives you more free time. Okay, but we, can, if you, we can believe but if, that if we want, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I think there's actually, yeah, we can believe that before, and there's actually yeah. a lot of evidence to support it. That is, um, there are plenty of people who decide to, to uh, take their flight, uh, you know, jump off uh, and, and leave mainstream society, tune in, ter- turn on, drop out, and uh, they don't end up doing that well. There are plenty of those too. So the point is, um, if you don't, my point was, regardless of what happens when you need to put food on the table, um, in my situation, I had conflated the two, that his status was something, it was a necessity, like getting food on the table. And I realized, wait a second, I don't actually need that. I, I still have money enough to put food on the table through investments. So then the question becomes, what am I going to do with my life? And for me, this relates to something you said earlier, I realized that my favorite project was to sit on the front porch of the universe in conversation, speculating about it and us in it. That's what I do. And it's been years since I felt like I needed to launch a new project, even though all the time I'm launching new projects, they're all part of what I do. So when people ask me what's new in my life, I say uh, (laughs) uh, more of the same, only more so. I I just do more of the same stuff. And I'm grateful to be over the question, have that monkey off my back about what I'm gonna do next. And I think it's a product of dumb luck. That is if I didn't have resources, That would free me up like this. I would have to define success in ways that had me more more obligated to other things. Right, right. That's the reality of it.
0: Oh well,
1: okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That was that was good.
1: (laughs) I'm glad to hear. I don't I don't know. Did well.
0: thank you so much jeremy t- for coming having the patience to come in and converse with us <laughs> that was it was thank a- you for the
1: patience for listening to me man this guy can yeah, talk
0: yes i know
1: <laughs> i had my coffee <laughs>
0: I hope you come back sometime and we'll com- continue this conversation after I get that article. I want that article. Oh no, I'll send Remember it to the you. The it's very short. It was just yeah. a,
1: si- a sidebar. I'll send it to you.
0: Okay. It's All a right. pleasure
1: to be with you. Fun and to talk with you.
0: My, my pleasure. Bye-bye, Jeremy.
1: Bye-bye. Take care.
0: Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow Let's Talk Soul podcast on Instagram. Let's Talk Soul podcast is a production of Electrocast Media. Our executive producers are Mark Netter and Peter Rafelson. If you like our show and like what you hear, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you enjoy podcasts. And remember, stay curious, stay inspired, and never stop exploring the depths of your soul. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, Free From Bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production.